Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. I did take in those messages, so I, I, I wasn't immune, you know, to right. white supremacy. I just, after a while, you just begin to believe it. Like, right. maybe I'm not attractive. Maybe I am ugly. I mean, there was a lot of self-hate for me, hating my dark skin um, to the point where I started bleaching my skin. Really? Yeah. So I, mm. so I did it in, um, I want to say about freshman and sophomore year for like a year, maybe about a year or two, mm. you know, thinking that, man light equals pretty mm. like you know in my own mind i will be prettier if i am lighter sadly it's something it was just a common very uh practice very um, common among yeah that West blew Africans. me away when i listened to that episode oh on color true stable yeah, oh, yeah. something like over 70 percent of african women mm-hmm. uh, bleach mm-hmm. their skin yes. with very disastrous health consequences yes yes you go to the beauty supply you'll see those light those lightning products right here in philly This is Where You're From, a podcast for those who believe it's important to stop and listen before we speak. Join us as we ask another Christian thought leader where you're from and discover how their life experiences and expertise, even if we may disagree with something they say, offer us an important perspective that's worth thinking about. Welcome to Where You're From. I'm Rasul Berry. Everyone struggles or has struggled with issues of identity. Maybe it's the way we look or the amount of success we have achieved, or wanting to change who we are to please someone else. The question, who am I, is fundamental for us. And the way we answer that question can determine what we think about ourselves and our place in the world. Sometimes when we allow others or our culture to answer that question for us, it can lead to devastating consequences. Today, I'm talking with Akimini Uwan, one of the hosts from Truth's Table, a popular podcast for Black women. She's a public theologian who has dedicated her life to understanding and combating racism and will help us unpack terms like colorism, white supremacy, and microaggressions. Akimini's experience with racism began in elementary school, and over time, those experiences of being treated as less than led to an identity crisis that sadly included self-hate, and even bleaching her own skin. But before we get into those difficult details, Akemini shares what life was like growing up in California with first-generation immigrant parents from Nigeria. You're listening to Where You're From. No, I'm from Cali. Ooh. Killer Cali. Yeah, exactly. From Cali, from the Bay, um, but lived in LA for 12 years. So I'm a true Cali girl. <laughs> okay, okay. And what about your parents? And- parents originally from Nigeria. Okay. Yeah, and so, but they came in the early 70s, so they've been here a long time. What was that like growing up in the West Coast, in the Bay? but also the daughter of yeah. immigrants in that yeah. case first generation i guess that's all i knew so i didn't i okay. didn't really think it was yeah. odd or unique um in that way and even being the child of um nigerian immigrants 
I was raised black. And they did install Nigerian pride. We're like born with that. <laughs> but but they didn't do it in a way to where we should think of ourselves as better, you know, than um, our black brothers and sisters. So I never thought that way. Gotcha. I just thought I was, I'm a black girl. <laughs> right. gotcha. Like everybody else with a unique name. But yeah, that was it. You know, we had we had our, our foods. Even my mom would make Nigerian food for my mom and dad, and she would make American food for us: barbecue chicken, mm. spaghetti. Got it. So it was, yeah. So they, I think, in a, I don't know if it was intentional or right. inadvertently, but they just really um, assimilated and they really blended both cultures mm. for us. Yeah. Um, pretty seamlessly. Okay. For us, and so I'm, I'm grateful. Now, when you say the Bay, are we talking Oakland, San Fran, somewhere? So actually, technically, um, Silicon Valley, yep. San Jose. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, home of Apple. So mm-hmm. that I don't know about a whole lot about the demographics, mm-hmm. but that would seem like you would find yourself as a minority mm-hmm. in a significant way. Oh, yeah. How mm-hmm. do you think that experience shaped who you are? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, definitely a minority for sure. Um, you know, the Bay Area. It's diverse in some ways and in some ways not, you know. Um, so we grew up in, um, in Silicon Valley in schools that were predominantly white, um, then probably Asian, and then Hispanic, and then black, right? There weren't tons, mm. you know, of black people. Um, and then growing up where I grew up, because we didn't have a lot of money, we were actually technically grew up in the projects there mm. and every city pretty much has that. Um, and so that's where we grew up. And that's where, um, that's where I, a lot of the black folks lived, you know, and we were among them. And, um, but we were in those like good schools, right? We went to the same junior high as Steve Wozniak, I yep, think, you know, yeah. so I, not at the same time, obviously. Uh, he's much older than <laughs> yeah. me. <laughs> make, that, make that clear. Make, make that, that clear. clear. Yeah, it's a different generation. Me. But, you know, that just to kind of let you know yeah. that, um, you know, some dissonance there, if right. that makes sense, you yeah. know. Um, uh, but, you know, that definitely shaped me, being a, a minority, um, a, a black girl, a dark-skinned black girl um, in California. It's definitely going to shape you. It's going to definitely give you, hopefully, a good critical race lens. And I I think that's what it did for me uh, because of a lot of the microaggressions you, mm. you'd experience microaggressions break that down for me. yeah well um in, in a rudimentary sense is it's um these little racial digs racist digs right so like oh um you're pretty for a dark girl right mm. you'll hear that um or oh um oh that's a funny sounding name i'm gonna give you a nickname no, you don't get to name me. Mm-hmm. Like this is the name I was given. Um, uh, so yeah, so those that that's the how touching would, of hair, for yeah, example. or even yeah, even yeah. touching hair, right. or you know, petting and right. thinking like you know, so so things like that, right. or, or or you know, judging you like, oh, can you use a regular comb? Uh, is that all your hair? Right, microaggressions, you know. Cause so micro because they're not like these big moments it's not the n-word the person's right. not calling it the n-word right. but, but it is a thing a slight that also offends and rubs yeah. up against you leave that person's presence with internal bleeding what i call internal you like oh like you, a little cut yeah it's like a oh because yeah. you might not catch it in the moment Got it. and then you leave you're like why do i feel this way after mm-hmm. leaving this person's presence and it's like oh you experience a microaggression. Got it. Do you remember like your first experiences of like, wait a minute, that's not how people out there experience me? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there were. I mean, there were times where, you know, I'd be playing with friends that were not black, right? Mm-hmm. You know, 
Um, and then one of the older siblings of of that one peer of, of my friend will call me a name, a, ra- a racial slur, a racial, you know, term or compare me to like something that's not a human being, you know. And so those things would happen or you'd be really close, you know, to to somebody that you consider to be a friend, maybe even your best friend. Right. In school. But that best friend could never come to your house. Wow. You always had to go to their house because, mm-hmm. you know, our our, our um, area was deemed not safe, according to them. But it was it was safe. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was always safe to me anyway. So, you know, things like that. You would notice it's like if I'm going to hang out with this person, how come I have to go to their house? Mm-hmm. But they can never come to mine. You know, they're never willing to come or they're never willing to sleep yeah. over. Right. So you notice those things. How, do you remember how you felt about that? I mean, at elementary school, oh, that's yeah, a very yeah, young age yeah. to be confronted with racism. Like, how, how did that? Oh, yeah, it was um, uh, obviously demoralizing, uh, hurtful, um, you know, uh, feeling feelings of like maybe uh, some worthlessness. So you didn't have anything to um, to necessarily counteract, mm-hmm. you know, the messages that you were getting at school, mm-hmm. you know, that uh you're not your hair is not like that you're not you're not pretty like your friend tina whatever i'm just throwing out an arbitrary name you know you're darker you're this you know you're that so you get those those messages and there's nothing to to really counteract counteract that or to balance it or to um to help to heal that or to undo right you know um, those internal messages yeah Mm -hmm. that you use the word colorism that a lot of people may not know what that Mm -hmm, is break mm -hmm. that down yeah um, colorism is uh where um, where people with lighter skin, you know, are are given preferential treatment over those with darker skin, mm-hmm. so they get more of the perks and the benefits, you know, uh, maybe uh, higher pay in a job, um, better mate selection with that, uh, just preferential treatment. Sometimes some parents treat their other kids better because this one's lighter, this one's darker. Sometimes it happens in the reverse because there's some internalized issues with right. regard to that happened to Malcolm X. Um, with his mother, his mother could not stand him or was very hard on him because right. he was light, right. had red hair. Um, right. But often, by and large, it's, it goes in the other direction. And so that's what colorism is. And it happens within most minority groups. So it's not just black folks. Right. You know, it, it happens within the Asian community, happens within the um, Latinx community, but within those right. minority groups. And then sometimes it's practice um, outside of our groups. So where white people will get preferential treatment. Right. And they may not know that they're doing this, but... Right. That's besides the point right. that's happening. You know, where the light skinned person will get, yeah. you know, it, it's perp. It so, reminds me of mm-hmm. the um, the doll experiment that yeah. Dr. Yeah. Kenneth Clark did, yeah. that part of the Brown versus Board of Education, yes. yeah. uh, where they had a, a white uh, doll baby and a black one, and they asked black children which one oh, was yeah. more beautiful. Mm-hmm. They would pick the white one. Which one is mm-hmm. smarter? They would pick the white one. Which one is good? And, you know, they would pick the white one. Which one's bad? They would pick the black one. And then which one is more like you? And then they would pick the black one. And it's just this heartbreaking thing. And they actually, uh, on YouTube, somebody redid this experiment, this time with multiple ethnicities a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so, but that's something that a lot of people don't know. So in addition to what you were saying is the external, outside dealing with, you know, just whiteness, uh, there was also within even your own community a sense yeah. you know mm-hmm. of man that, that that's not, that has to be tough yeah you know, it's a it's, lot i mean it's right. it's so intrusive right you know so it just it invades right. every part of your 
okay. your life. Yeah. Even with regard to colorism, there's sociological studies too about like this. This is not just anecdotal things sure. where like yeah. literally like light skinned people actually make six thousand dollars more gotcha. than dark skinned people. They are actually have right. higher and rates nationally. Of, yeah, okay. yeah, higher rates of marriage. You right. know because of that. Right. So these are yeah. actual legitimate like. Yeah. No, these are real things. No, this is real. Regionally, it's it, in some regions it's it's not as intense as other mm. other places you know like um in california uh there is just this um a lot of black men had a preference um there would be a, um a desire at least among black men um to be with women that were lighter or even racially ambiguous right right you yeah. know so mm -hmm. and this is back when videos were big yes you know and so you had the whole video girl yeah. right and the ideal video girl was light um she had curly hair maybe like mariah carey's curl pattern right and even i guess you could say for women that look like them right and or if you and if you weren't didn't quite look like them then you could have you know you know, some brown skin, you couldn't be too, too dark, right? So, so that eliminates me. I'm, I'm a dark skinned woman, you mm. know, so that would eliminate me from a lot of dating prospects, if that made sense, there in LA. Mm. Um, and so you have to contend with those things. Mm. And the interesting thing is that's you would connect colorism with white supremacy, even though it's not white people doing the discrimination. Sure, sure. A sure. lot of people don't get that when yeah. they hear the phrase white supremacy, they just mm -hmm. think it's like people with like, clan hoods on and torches or tiki torches right. you know, and it's like no this is even yeah within. yeah because once it's internalized right that mechanism right. of oppression is the right. wheels are right. turning right yeah. because it's already the victims right. you know of white supremacy have imbibed that ideology to some degree right. to varying degrees right. you know and that ideology seeps out in the way that we treat right. each other um our fellow black neighbors other people you know people that are not Black, you know, so we begin to make those um, demarcations okay. and those distinctions. So you're, you're experiencing these challenges, middle school, high school. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you cope? How do you respond? And, and where does faith come into this picture? Yeah, I mean, um, so for me, I did take in those those messages. So I, I, I wasn't immune, you know, to mm -hmm. white supremacy. I just, after a while, you just begin to believe it. Like right. maybe I'm not, a, maybe I'm not attractive. Maybe I am ugly, you mm -hmm. know, and believing those things. Um, there was a lot of self hate for me, particularly I'd say about junior high, high school. Mm. I'd say I carried a lot of self hates, a lot of self loathing, hating my dark skin um, to the point where I started bleaching my skin. Really? Yeah. Mm. So I, and which, Sadly, is something. It was a common, very uh, practice, very um, common among. Yeah, that West blew me Africans. away when I listened to that episode. Oh, on color, Shable. true stable. Yeah, oh, you yeah. said something like over seventy percent of African women mm -hmm. uh, bleach mm -hmm. their skin yes. with very disastrous health consequences. Yes, yes. I mean, you go to the beauty supply, which I'm gonna go to after this. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you go to the beauty supply, you'll see those light, those lightning products right here in Philly. Mm -hmm. You're any beauty supply, actually, right. you will see lightning soap. Um, lightning lotions, mm -hmm. uh, you'll see it. Um, so anyway, so that it was not hard for me to get a hold of those lightning right. products. Yeah. And so, um, it, I mean, to the point where it's just used as lotion. Okay. And so, uh, so it was just there in, in my house actually. Right. And so that's how I just started doing it. Mm -hmm. So I did it in, um, I want to say about freshman and sophomore year for like a year, maybe about a year or two, mm -hmm. you know, thinking that, man, light equals pretty mm. like you know in my own mind i will be prettier 
if I am lighter. Mm. Um, and I remember just seeing images on television thinking, oh yeah, she's really, really pretty. And every time, everybody that I thought was pretty was light, right? Mm. I don't know what caused me to just stop doing it, but mm. I did stop doing it. Mm. Um, but I knew that I needed to begin to love the skin that I was in. Mm. I know it sounds like a cliche, but I was like, I knew I needed to start to do that. But um, so I started listening. Of course, I, you know, back in the 90s and the, um, yeah, I'd say 90s more. So we had a lot of good conscious, yes. you know, music, oh, yeah. conscious rap. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You had Diggable Planets. Diggable Planets. You had Fuji. Tribe Called Quest. Yeah, yeah, Tribe. Roots. So there was a lot of stuff in there that I could latch on to right. to kind of help to affirm mm-hmm. you and to, to help build you up. I wasn't yet like a believer yet. I mean, I, I grew up in the church, but the right. faith hadn't yet become my own. Right. And I... And I and the way this faith came to me was just like I didn't see room for myself anyway right. in there really. So I was right. like, well, I can't. White Jesus is not going to mm. help me with my self loathing. Right. So what am I going to do about this? Um, but and then when I came to faith, I really had to begin to give this to the Lord, mm. you know. And I came to faith in um, senior year in college. So. Okay, pause. pause yeah. What happened that would cause that to be a time frame in which you would come to know the Lord? Yeah. Um, my dad passed away in 2001, mm. which obviously was very uh, life-changing, you know, um, disorienting. Mm. And so I think in some ways I, I was obviously angry with God, um, even though I wasn't yet a believer, but I knew the faith. I grew up. You know, I grew up Lutheran, so I knew, you know, I was catechized, I was baptized, you know. I'm grateful for those things because that helped to at least anchor me and keep me from drifting into other doctrines of demons. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but my, my father passed away. I was angry with God. I did what, you know, smoke, drink, those things. Um, and I remember being in my dorm room smoking a blunt um, by myself and just thinking, man, like, if Jesus were to come back, like right this moment, because I know the doctrines, I know the faith, I'm like, I would not be going back with Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, my life does not in any way reflect that I love Jesus, that I live for Jesus, that I even care mm-hmm. about what he did for me. Um, and that was really scary to me. And so uh, I remember it had to be a Saturday night because the next day I went to a church, um, Black Baptist Pentecostal Egalitarian Ooh, Church. And heard the gospel. It felt like for the first time. Obviously, it wasn't the first time right. I heard the gospel, but it felt like it was the first time I heard it. Pastor uh, Andrea Smith, she gave the call for um, salvation. And I went down and by God's grace, I haven't looked back. Wow. I've been running for Jesus since then, Got you it. know. Um, so where, were, where was the trajectory? Because senior year, that's when you're starting to make decisions about the future yeah. and whatnot, if you haven't already. So yeah. where, what was that trajectory before that weekend? Um, I thought the trajectory was still, I was going to get out. I did business, business marketing and I chose my major because of Boomerang. The movie. That's how I chose my man. The classic. I told you I have a very black childhood. Yo, so well, that's, that's that's in the that's canon. That's what matters. That's, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why I was like, representation actually does matter. Yo. So I, I literally chose my uh, college major based off of Boomerang. Wow. I was like, oh, they were marketing executives. They had money. I grew up. I didn't have money. Okay. I want money. So is that, yeah. you know, not to worship it, but I was like, I want money. I don't want us to be struggling like we've always been struggling. Yeah. You know, so that's how I chose my major. So my, my trajectory, even before I got saved, was still corporate. Get a job, right. get stability, you know, and get married, have kids. Like, that right. was really got it. my plan, to be honest. And then I got saved, and that was my plan, my trajectory until 
it wasn't. And so, <laughs> you okay, know. and what happened to make it change? Yeah, well, um, yeah, so I did, you know, sales for many, many years. Um, so in uh, 2011, uh, the day before my birthday, I was, at this point, I was working with a pharmaceutical company, yep. so I was doing pharmaceutical sales. Okay. And with that job, it's a cushy job. You get a, you get a, um, a car. You get um, a gas card, literally. So you just swipe the card. Your gas is paid for. Everything is paid for, right? Um, company credit card. All these things. They call it the golden handcuffs because nobody leaves this job, you know, like because it's too good. Um, and day before my birthday, they got rid of our whole sales team, wow, including my boss. And so it was, it was very traumatic. Um, wow. very, very traumatic because you're like, what's happening? What, wait, what just, mm. what's going on? You know, at that time people were like, oh, the devil. I was like, this ain't the devil. This is God. And I don't, I need to know what mm. is going on. So I was praying, praying, asking the Lord, what's going on? What is the deal? And I just sensed that the Lord was saying ministry. And I'm like, okay. I was like, if that's the case, then maybe I need to go to seminary. And so I ended up, you know, going to an open house, you know, in Philly and sensing like that was where the Lord was leading me. And so that's what I did. So I went to, so I moved to Philly to go to seminary in 2012. From LA to Philadelphia. Yeah. Across the country to go to a seminary. Yep. That I never heard of. That, wow. Did, never heard of, didn't know anything about it at all. That's I big. Just, that's a I, huge life shift. Oh, my whole life changed. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything about it. I just was like, okay, this is where the Lord is is leading me then that's where i'm gonna go so sold the condo sold everything like mm. it, it was tough it was traumatic i mean you know because i was so attached to la i always thought i'd live there like i never wanted to leave la right. you know i had family i had friends there who had really become family my godchildren were there mm. everything that i wanted you know for the most part was there mm. you know and so it was again that was a traumatic like nobody really talks about the trauma of following god it's very traumatic mm. actually um because when god is yeah when god takes you into the pit mm. and leaves you there for a minute yes like he's there with you but you can't you can't hear him you can't see him and you can't feel him that's traumatic when we come back, Ikemini Uwan will share how God never really took her out of tense situations, but led her to seminary and a career that has been anything but easy. You're listening to Where You're From. If you're enjoying Where You're From, would you take a moment to write a quick review and give us some stars? Podcast platforms like iTunes and Google promote highly rated shows. So a one-sentence review of what this episode or show means to you and a quick five-star rating will help these important stories reach more people. Thank you for your help and keep listening for more of Where You're From. This episode is brought to you by smallgroups.com. Find everything you need to build, grow, and maintain a healthy, thriving small group ministry. Smallgroups.com equips you to develop your ministry model and train your leaders, to nurture spiritual growth in group members, to troubleshoot typical group problems, and also to avoid common pitfalls. Whatever your role in developing life-changing community, we have resources for you. Visit smallgroups.com today. Hey everyone, my name is Mary Jo Clark and I'm one of the producers for Where You From. 
Before we return to our conversation with Akemeni Uwan, I wanted to share a quick teaser from our returning guest, Lecrae. This is Where You're From. It's so wild because people from the outside looking in, when all of the racial tension was happening in America, continues to happen in America, people were like, yo, why are all the Christian rappers tripping? What they weren't realizing is that we're a community and we're a family and we're all experiencing the same collective trauma together. Sometimes it's not even a sense of I told him I was going to do this and I told him I was going to. It's like we're just moving out of what we feel called to do. And I think it gave me more courage to be very bold and to go against the grain because I wasn't the only one. Mm. I was taking a lot of the public beating Mm. and losing money and and all of those particular things. But I knew at home my friends were grieved, were traumatized, were contemplating quitting their jobs, were struggling with their churches. Mm. It was a world that Mm. was happening all around me. My music was just cathartic for Mm. everyone. It wasn't Mm. like this is just something Lecrae is dealing with. Mm. It was like, no, this is what the community is dealing with. Before we hit play on part two of my conversation with Akemini Uwan, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. There you will find not only the talking points for today's show, but also a link to learn more about Akemini and a link to a free episode of the In Pursuit of Jesus documentary series. On this free episode, I engage with people in South Africa who have been impacted by the racial injustices of apartheid and discover how Jesus speaks to issues of racial segregation. Again, that episode is yours for free. Just copy the link in the podcast description or visit whereyou'refrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from.org. Before the break, Akimini described the moment God called her to move from L.A. to Philadelphia for seminary. The move itself was difficult. But once she got to seminary, she ran into what she called a wall of whiteness, which was isolating, painful, and yet one of the most important experiences of her life. Here's Akemini Uwan describing the wall of whiteness on where you're from. Yeah, the wall of whiteness, um, well, was literally a wall of a lot of white people. (laughs) It was a predominantly white institution, you know, um, uh, and then Asian, you know, but... um, and then also the the assignments, you know, on who we were, our bibliographies, who we read, all white men, mm-hmm. uh, to down to um, the the lessons and ideologies that would be um, taught in class, right? Like I, I mentioned, the benevolent slave masters, you know, and um, which that would that came out of an Asian professor's book, right? right? Yeah. Um, um, and then. Um, you know, of course, the the um, revisionist history, just with the um, church history, you right. know, whitewashing, right? You know, uh, African theologians. So yeah, wall of whiteness, like in just about every direction. Right. So it's not just even the uh, percentage of people who were white, yeah, but also the kind of ideology, the perspective, kind of the the lack of awareness 
of the dominance of this culture and all the assumptions that come with it. Yeah, it was very traumatic. Like talking right. about how, you know, there were benevolent slave masters mm-hmm. and, you know, and I, I at me having to legitimately take on my professors on my own, mm-hmm. like, confronting them in front of everybody because that's very dangerous. That's white supremacist ideology. I can't let that right. go. No, we were not better off enslaved. No, there were not benevolent slave masters. Mm-hmm. No, we should condemn all of it. Mm-hmm. And so there were things like that that I'd have to endure. And you know? yet you endured Oh yeah, and I mean, not because I was at the graduation, so I saw you. By the grace of God, I yeah, I made it. How how did you do that, and what did you learn? What why did you stay? Like you know. Well, I I made um the only way I made it through was because I knew the Lord had called me there. Okay, that was it. That was the only way I knew. I knew. I knew. Mm-hmm. Like you know, what I'm saying this this was not something that I made up. It was something that was confirmed by my mentor and other people. Like it seemed like the Lord was going right. in this direction with my life. And so I was able to endure because I knew the Lord. I knew, I knew. Right. Like, like he called me here. Because mm-hmm. I surely didn't choose this. Right. I know the devil's shown up. <laughs> Wasn't his bright idea for me to go. You know, like, there's something that like, he's not going to suggest that. Um, and so I've set my face like Flint, honestly. Mm. Got an award, green yeah, award. Yeah, yeah, apologetics on. and things, for, you know. War for apologetics. Yeah, so I mean, I did do well there by the grace of God. You slayed. Um, but it was tough. But I left with a lot of a lot of sociological scars, mm. you know. So on the, sociologically, I got out by the skin of my teeth. You know, <laughs> academically, no. But but I had, there was a lot of work I had to and do. And so, all right, so you graduate, you know, with yeah. distinction. And then what's next? Yeah, I graduate. Um, the seminary is happy. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is done because it's four years, four year program. Take the meat, spit out the bones, you know, and move on. I'm thinking new chapter. Surely I'll get a job. You know, so I think I was like, let me go back to what I know. I was like, so maybe, maybe I guess maybe pharma, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe sales in some mm-hmm. regard because that's what I did before. Because I got to pay off the student loans, right? Because yes. I got a, I incurred loan debt right. because of seminary. Right. Um, you know, so I'm thinking that a job will await me at some point. Now, in the midst of my um, time there, what I started to do was gear a lot of my papers and my writings. You know. Um, really an anti-racism, mm-hmm. you know, work. And um, so trying to um, combat the white supremacy that was so steeped in the institution there. Mm. So I was working as, as an admissions counselor there, you know, doing, getting, but you know, that's not like a lot, yeah. but paying yeah. rent, you know, things like that. And I'm um, graduating, that job's going to be done. Um, so anyway, so I, I applied, applied, never got callbacks for jobs. And so I'm like, okay, God, what are we doing? Because, you know, when you graduate, and, and I, I mean, I incurred a lot of trauma, you know, so right. you graduate and you think, okay, uh, some, surely a job's going to be waiting for me. Something's going to happen. And that never came, you know, so I would get some speaking gigs and things like that. And I'm just like, is this what we're going to do? Like, I'm just going to be an itinerant speaker, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, whatever else that comes with that. Um, 2016, 2017, very depressed about just like, what's happening? Like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, I, I mean, I'm like in abject poverty, to be quite honest. I'm like, what's happening? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. What are we doing, God? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so 2017 was really, really hard, you know, and so... And I guess you could say my visibility, I think, was going up because I had been on Lecrae's album. Yeah. So, and I'm, I was grateful for the opportunity. But there was real struggles. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like, because I didn't choose this life. 
to mm. be honest, um, really, it was chosen for me. Mm. You know, I'm not. I, I really always wanted to just live a really quiet, simple life. To be honest, mm. like I said, be in my local church, mm. do discipleship, <laughs> have a job. Get married, have kids, the end. Serve the Lord until he calls me home or until he comes back or other one. The end. Mm. Like, and that's just not what happens. So I, I know people seek after yes. these things or maybe even covet what I do. But I'm like, y'all, ain't nothing glamorous about what I do. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, it, it's not. It's hard. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I have to say hard things. Yes. You know? Um, so 2017, Truth Table coming around was a lifeline for me to be honest i'm a reluctant entrepreneur i wasn't really like let me start a podcast I, you know actually the podcast producer bo york for pass the mic came to me mm. at a conference and said hey you should do a podcast and i was like no nah, i'm not interested in just talking you know and having my own podcast i just don't want mm. you know i just don't want to be self-centered or just have the complete focus on me. I just don't want to do that. And he's like, okay, what about you, Michelle and Christina doing podcasts together? I was like, hmm, that could work. I was like, we, we have a group chat. We talk like every day. Like, hmm, okay. I was like, I don't know much about podcasting. I didn't know. I, don't, I was like, I didn't really listen to podcasts. Right. So, you know. <laughs> I was like, okay, let's just, fine. Let's, let's mm. try it out. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, you, you, so you do the podcast. Mm -hmm. Are you prepared for, did you anticipate the nerve that it struck and the reaction that it got. I didn't really anticipate that it would be such a big deal in people's lives. You know, yeah. uh, I thought it would matter, but I didn't think it would matter as much as it does to mm -hmm. people um, where people really do actually care what we have to say mm -hmm. about things or they really want to know, oh, what does Truth Sweep have to say about this? Mm -hmm. I wonder what they think about even what they got to say about even this movie. Like, you know, like, like, like you know, so I did, I wasn't prepared for that. And then, of course, the, the flip side to that is the controversies that come, you know, because of the subject matter. So I think we all take great gravity and seriousness what we do at Truth Table. It's not a game. Right. You know, I think we, we see it more than just a podcast. It's a ministry. Yes. Um, and I approach it, and I believe the other women approach it with that same mm. gravity mm. um and seriousness you know i mean i know for me personally uh you know listening it's this rare opportunity that i get to be like wow here are these women who are solid in their faith who are insightful in their perspectives mm. on culture and who are unapologetic mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. which is in its way an, an apologetic right yes, all of yeah, those yeah, things yeah. bring together yes and I've learned so much. I've, been, I've laughed so much. It's, you know, it's uh, incredible to see. But like, I'm, I'm curious, like for you, what's been a moment where you realize maybe from a personal interaction that you've had, maybe a personal thing somebody shared with you, email at a, you know, now you guys are doing retreats where you were like, wow, this this is really impacting people in a deep way. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we get, I mean, we get a lot of emails, right? We've gotten emails like from people saying I had left the church hadn't been in the church for so long, but because of your podcast, because specifically of the Why the Church Matters episode, I now go to church. Mm. I've joined a local church. That's huge. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that is so meaningful and so big, or or God's used your podcast to revive my faith. Wow. You know, or I did, things like that's huge. You know, yeah. beyond identity things, 
um, you know, and just feeling affirmed and, you know, somebody may, that might yeah. be self-loathing. They feel like they see themselves mm. in Truth's table. They know they have, particularly the black woman, they know they have a seat at the table. That's for them, right? Mm. And everybody else that listens has standing room, including you, Russell. <laughs> but you're in the room. Yes. But, you know, but, yes. but because there's, there's, it's, we don't ever have a space, particularly as black women, that's just for right. us. Right. Oftentimes the things that we create are co-opted, mm. you know, um, we're erased, we're silenced, mm. you know, uh, uh, worse, you know, rape culture has ravaged us in so mm. many profound, horrific ways. We did intercessory prayer. And so every week we had a, a prayer call, wow. you know, to pray about the, the specific subject matter we were tackling. So the first week was medical apartheid, you know, women that have um, experienced racism in the medical industry, you know, praying about even women that have had, have been steered toward hysterectomies far too soon. Yes. And so now they can't have children. Yes. Like, and praying, you know, just about healing about those things. Yeah. Or women, you know, of course, the um, the infant mortality rates, you know, yeah. and, and, and mortality rates for black moms, yes. you know, dying to give life, literally. Yeah. Praying about, for pregnant women on the line who are scared, mm. right? Mm. To give birth, praying for doulas, black doulas, yes. that the Lord will raise up just a remnant even more, or really an army of black doulas and midwives. Um, and we call ourselves midwives and culture for yeah. grace and truth, you know. Um, so, yes, yeah, so these things, you know, so we, we, tr we try to figure out ways that we can shore them up and shore ourselves up, too. <laughs> so it's like, let me, we're going to hold intercessory prayer. We're going to pray, right. you know, for all of us. And it was just such a sweet time. It was beautiful. One of the most powerful moments you shared about Tatiana Jefferson's, uh, you know, uh, death kill, being killed by a police officer when her oh, neighbor yeah. was concerned about her well-being mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i remember you weeping and um and it was uh it, it was this moment that jarred me into being present in that moment because it's, it's so easy with this just constant stream of the yeah. news cycle to just become a little bit detached mm -hmm. and i think that moment of listening to how how deeply impacted you were by it caused me to stop and realize I need to pray for their, her family. I need to be there and just lament like that. There was nothing I could do, but it was a, it was a gift to invite me into that. Why, mm. why do you think that that impacted you so much? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, it's just the, just visualizing like the whole scene yeah. I mean just she's playing there with her nephew mm -hmm. playing video games like you're not even you're not safe in your own home mm -hmm. that's unsettling yeah. you know um, I think there was a lot of um, you know you see yourself in her right. you know she's a single black woman and a black aunt you know, mm. we know black aunties matter, yes. you know, and I'm a black aunt, mm. you know, I'm, I'm a single black woman. That could have happened to me. That's yeah. really scary. Yeah. Like, you know, um, the whole circumstance is just so jarring, you know, and I, I saw it. And, um, and so it was just my soul really cried out, you mm. know, um, because of that. Right. Um, and I, and then we don't weep over black women the way that yeah. we ought to. And to know that the neighbor really cared about the well-being of this woman and called the non-emergency line for a wellness check. Like, how come our doors open at two, whatever time in the morning it was? You know, and he didn't know. So it's, so, it's heartbreaking on so many levels. Yeah. 
And so, I, you know, it reminded me of the importance that we yeah. n- have of just sitting with those things and mm-hmm. not just moving on. Yeah. And when we think about where we are in the world right now, it's important to sit with people and feel the weight of injustice. And then to speak out, to take action, to look for every opportunity to point out ideologies that devalue other human beings. And to stand up for the dignity of our brothers and sisters who are black and of every color. You're listening to Where You're From. I'm Rasul Berry, and if you'd like more info about Ekemeni Uwan, including more information about her work as a public theologian, check out the show notes, which are located in the podcast description. I'm Rasul Berry, reminding you that it's not just about where you're at, it's also about where you're from. This show was produced by Ryan Clevenger, Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, and Jade Gustafson, and was engineered by Gabrielle Bauer and Kevin Burgess. I also want to give a quick shout out to Diana and Mary for their help in supporting and promoting Where You're From. Thanks, y'all. Where You're From is part of the Voices Collection from Our Daily Bread Ministries.